This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where everyone from rookies to pros finds their fun. Because fun is fitness, fun is friends, and fun is fast. Close That's a bit of Welsh for you. Geraint, have you been watching I'm a Celebrity on telly? I feel like we should both be watching it because we've pretty much got a member of the GTCC on it, haven't we? Um, in Louise Minchin. Yes, yes. I, have, uh, I haven't seen as much this season as I normally do, but yeah, I'm fully into that. I love watching a bit of I'm a Celeb. Do you reckon she's taking her jersey? That might be her one... Luxury. Item. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be an amazing reveal, wouldn't it? <laughs> have you um, ever been asked to go on it? I'm a celebrity. I haven't. No. But, um, oh yeah, you'd have to, wouldn't you? I think uh, froomy has been asked to. And, oh yeah, when it comes to the creatures and stuff, he'd be all over that. That's just second nature to him. He was telling me a story the other day. He was in Miami a couple of months ago. And... Um, they were going, they were riding along the Everglades, saw a crocodile. They ended up like, oh, trying to grab one of their tails or something. Oh yeah, I saw that picture. And I was like, what are you on about? Why would you do that? And he was just like, oh, you know, it's quite funny. You know, we used to do it when we were kids in Africa. You grab the tail <laughs> and lift them up and it's like they're just running in midair. I was like, mate, something wrong with you. Yeah, they're just running in midair with their massive teeth snapping at you. Yeah, then they turn around and just bite your hand off. <laughs> anyway but with him I think it would be good for him because his actual character would come across then yeah for me I think um, oh, it, it's not my, my phobia because but who I'd say who actually likes rats running all over him like not many people are there but I wouldn't detest it that, that would be okay the eating stuff oh, that could be pretty not very nice but you'd do it wouldn't you because you're on national telly you know, like if it was just me and you sat there and then you were like, oh, have a bit of this pig's nose. I'd be like, well, not so sure, Tom. Or like a lamb's anus. Bollock. But, mm. you know, on national TV, you kind of just got to. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you not think, like, the, 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 particularly the time of year that they're doing it, is it not ideal weight shedding time for you? So you go and have your holiday and then you go and I'm a celeb. doesn't matter if you mess up a trial because you're meant to be eating very little anyway. So you go back to camp and you go, listen, bad news, we've got four portions of rice between us and everyone else is miserable and you're like, happy days. I think you're in there, you've got to be in there at least 10 days before they start filming people out. So 10 days on rice, you know, I've I've done three weeks on it, haven't I, in the tour? <laughs> yeah, I reckon I would, that would be handy actually, lose a bit of weight and then start training and especially if it's down in Australia again because... Yeah, like obviously, I like Wales and stuff, but go to Australia would be a bit better, wouldn't it, than North Wales? You can drive to North Wales in three hours. Okay, in that case, I'm going to give you a celeb TV question here, G. Would you rather, you've got four options here, would you rather go on number one, I'm a celebrity, number two, strictly, number three, dancing on ice, or number four, the masked singer? More. Oh. I think they'd all be fun, apart from the masked singer, because ah, uh, I've been told I've only got one note anyway, and I struggle to even hit that one. So, hundred percent, that would in reverse order now. Yeah, that would be my bottom of the list. Dancing on ice, uh, I can kind of ice skate, but that would be a good challenge because it's purely it's just trying to do another sport, isn't it? And I find that 
that would be really well pretty cool to do and have a go at strictly I'd worry about your shoulder yeah but by then it'll be strong yeah I'll just get in the gym a bit before as well really you know bulk up um, yeah strictly my in-laws um, my parents everyone says please don't ever go on it because you can't dance and you'll just make an absolute fool of yourself so that kind of makes me want to go on it just to prove that well pr- probably prove that I can't dance people yeah. like the non-dancers but though don't it would they? be like a massive challenge often the most popular one is the calamitously inept yeah but they all they also tend to improve then and people like like them then because they actually turn out to be quite good whereas I'm not sure I'd be able to improve <laughs> but and it's just it's all just quite um, you know I don't hug my mates you know and they're quite touchy-feely and I would be massively outside my comfort zone there but you know I'd give it a whirl it's, it's going to be a good laugh you would think and then yeah I'm a celeb you'd have to jump at the chance to go on that just because that would be cool to do as well so it's only the heights I'm not a fan of heights so what about you uh I'm a celebrity I'm not a celebrity so I wouldn't be allowed on it dancing on ice <laughs> um I never really dance anywhere on ice so that would go the Mars singer I'd quite fancy I would do that and then I think strictly I think my delusion would be that I'd be quite useful at it which is <laughs> probably yes yeah, because when you see people look and dance it looks easy yeah. doesn't it like we were saying about snooker yeah. it looks easy but then as soon as you try to do it you're like man this is pretty yeah. hard the sequins isn't really my vibe so, like I don't own anything with sequins I've never worn a top hat with a yeah. uh, carried a cane <laughs> it's just the hips as well like I'd struggle with all those you know the Latin sort of mm. hippie stuff yeah I know what you mean let's get on with the show Tom, good news. The sponsors are back for season two. That is Momentous, G. And Momentous just so happens to be the sponsors of this next bit. But who are they? <laughs> well, for all you listeners that were listening last season, you'll remember them as Amp Human. Aha, yeah, a leading human performance company that works with over 150 pro and elite sporting teams. And once again, we've got an exclusive discount for you. G, what's the lowdown? Well, I use uh, PR lotion all the time. You basically rub it directly in your muscles. You get bicarb directly into them and, you know, allows me to maximize training sessions and improves recovery time. Yeah, if you try it, the clinical data says you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. I like those odds, G. So if you fancy slapping it all over your legs before your next big ride or workout, go to livemomentous.com. So that first bit, all one word... L-I-V-E, then M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com. And because you listen to this podcast, we've got you an exclusive discount. Just use the code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentous' PR Lotion. Happy training. Hello, I'm Sam Walker. I've spent the last few months talking to this guy. I'm a hunter. It's what I do. He's called KC. Our rules of engagement are pretty simple. If we have to pull a trigger on one person, they're all going to go. He's an American vigilante. And there is one of the biggest men I've ever seen. And he's got a knife in his hand. He rescues kidnapped children. There's no feeling in the world like putting a child back in the arms of its parents. By any means necessary 
Well, it's ugly. You want me to make sure I don't hurt anybody? He scares me. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, I swear to God, I said, if you do anything other than what I told you to do, I said, I'm going to kill you right here. And he might scare you. About got tears in your eyes right now just thinking about that, don't you? Download the podcast, American Vigilante. Download American Vigilante. Out now. Now. Okay, so what? I leave G to lead the way, yeah. Yeah, he's our group group leader today. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, just for this intro with the Catford CC, are you um are you anything? Are you like a president or something, or are you do you have like a role in that, or are you just a member, a lifelong member? I'm I'm just a, a lifelong member. I I actually uh, joined the Catford when I was twelve, um, so that's quite a oh, few really? years ago. Um, and I my dad had left my mum when I was eight, um, and I hadn't seen, I never saw him. But on my 11th birthday, he turned up with a racing bike for me. He was a, a racer before the war. Um, and he, he actually won, I think, the National 50 Time Trial Championship, my old man. Anyway, he turned up with this bike, which was a, a Felman Mondial, uh, which was built in Paris and had full 27-inch wheels on it. It was uh, simplex gear. And I started them riding when I was 11 and started racing uh, in London Schoolboys when I was 12. And I won my first race at Crystal Palace. We used to race around the motor racing circuit. So I won my first race when I was 12 at Crystal Palace. And somebody came up to me there and said, you know, do you belong to a club? Um, No. Uh, Do you fancy joining the Catford? And I was like 12 years of age and, and joined the Catford then and I've been a member ever since so um yeah lifelong member you got me down for like your little christmas do or or some annual sort of dinner <laughs> do you remember that absolutely and so you came out very kindly and actually uh, that was the first year um and you actually did a speech there and all the under 23 team were there that were like you know really yeah couldn't believe it that you bowled up so um but yeah it did us a great favor it's fantastic yeah tom i remember he, um jeff said oh yeah we'll send you a car you know, pick you up whatever time, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, for instance, 10.30 comes, walk outside and there's this like a <laughs> big limousine just there waiting for me. I was like, oh, fair play. <laughs> Jeff does it in style. And then <laughs> drive all the way down, have this nice dinner and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, do you mind saying a few words? And it's one of them. I was like, oh no, what do you want to talk about? And it's kind of like, oh, whatever you want. But it was one of them and I was just like, oh, blimey. A bit like was spotty when I just walked up and you end up just rambling for five minutes and being like, what the hell did I just say? <laughs> but yeah, good times. I, th- I think it was longer than five minutes, actually, because like, he'd had a few. <laughs> and like anybody that's no. like, been in his company when he's had a drink, it like sort of five turned into 50, I think. It was like, yeah, it was a bit longer than five, G. Anyway, it was great. <laughs> Well, I, I would like some more stories uh, shortly, Jeff, about G and his drinking, specifically about his behaviour at his wedding, which you were present at. But G, we probably still actually need to do the intro. Oh, yes. <laughs> the pod. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Right. OK, then um, I, I'm still going to have to make it out like nobody knows who we're talking to now then. But um, <laughs> so our today's guest anyway, Tom, is a fellow Welshman who actually designed a suit for my wedding. He's obsessed with bikes, lifelong member of the Catford Cycling Club as, well, I'm sure people already no by now but welcome to the gtcc jeff banks great good to be here thanks for thanks for coming (laughs) and uh yeah as we've already established uh yeah we've known each other a while and yeah i'll make some good speeches at your catford cc dinners 
from time to time. It's funny. I, I have one story um, after your bike got nicked in Menton um, because about 15 years ago, I did a ride, which is called the Diagonale. And it's from Brest in the northwest of France, diagonally across France, over the Alps, and we ended up in Menton. Wow. So it was kind of like about a 1600k ride. There were 12 of us that did it. And uh, we actually, yeah, climbed, you know, the Galibier, Alpe d'Huez, uh, the uh, Vendue. So we did all of those big Alpine rides on the way. And then it was like a glide down into Nice and along the coast road uh, to Menton. And we finished in Menton. And it was boiling hot. It was in July. And everybody literally dumped their bikes, all except me, on the beach and ran into the sea to kind of like <laughs> freshen up. Every one of them got stung with jellyfish and ended up <laughs> in hospital in Menton for two days. So that was the end of the ride. Blimey. So I was just thinking, you know, when you were t uh, telling your story about your bike getting nicked there, and luckily you've actually got it back, um, it yeah. brought back memories to me of, uh, of my ride in, in the Diagonale. Huh, we've actually done that. Um, it was August after the tour. We did like a three, three and a half hour loop. It was nothing from Brest, but um, we stopped in Menton and jumped in the sea and left our bikes on the side. Luckily, we didn't get jellyfish done. <laughs> you didn't get any jellyfish. <laughs> yeah, and we nobody nicked our bikes as well. But yeah, can't yeah. beat it. A bit of a swim after, well, that must have been horrible though, riding all the way down from there and then spending two days in hospital. At two the end days of in it. hospital, absolutely, yeah. I was the only one that got out, you know, yeah, uh, sting free. <laughs> There's a, there's a well-known treatment for people who've had jellyfish stings and I imagine it's one of those things that you you believe to be true until you've been stung by a jellyfish and then you don't want your mate to do the thing that supposedly gets rid of the sting. <laughs> so I got stung once actually just down here somewhere one of the beaches and uh it was right on her face neck and I was I offered to wee on her face but she didn't <laughs> she declined. Talking about dehydration Jeff Tell us your, your favourite stories from G's wedding because you were a guest of honour. As G has said, you designed the suits. What are your favourite memories from the, the occasion? Um, I think, um, yeah, we had a lot of discussion. So we put a lot of effort into it and actually decided uh, that we would do something which was a bit special, which was actually make a morning coat outfit. So waistcoat, a tailcoat and trousers. So for the actual ceremony. And then, and only G would actually wear that. And then he could actually change into a regular jacket for the evening. All of the rest of the guys that he had, and it was quite a spectacular lineup. I mean, I think <laughs> there were, there were few, more yeah. champions as best men than you can actually shake a stick at. It actually, it was, it was really a bit of a roll call. And the one thing that actually stood out for me that I can, and it's not about the wedding. But I was chatting to, like, Dave Brailsford um, after. And I'd only ever normally seen Dave, you know, in the bus or whatever with kind of, like, team kit on. And I said to him, oh, you, you know, you scrubbed up well, Dave. I said, you know, it's, like, very well. And he was actually wearing a grey suit um, with a kind of gold paisley tie. And I said, it's all really well coordinated. He said, yeah, he said, I do it by numbers. I said, what do you mean you do it by numbers? He said, well, I'm actually colourblind. And I've got a stylist that actually numbers all my clothes so that they all coordinate together. And, uh, yeah, that was a little story about Dave that I didn't know that came out at the wedding. So no style. He just, he, he just numbers them up. That's what it is. It's all science. There's no, there's no Absolutely. art in it. Absolutely. Yeah, so he's got this lady who's a stylist that actually puts his outfits together for him. 
Right, G, you know what you've got to do? Next time you get on the bus, you can start writing random numbers on Dave B's clothes. <laughs> yeah. But um, talking about the suits, when we went down, we all came down to London. Um, yeah, me and my entourage, so to speak. And uh, we had a bit of a night out the night before. And then we all went to, to Jeff's place and Savile Row and get measured up and, you know, have a look at a few suits. And, and naively, I just thought, yeah, we'll just go get measured up. And then... You know, maybe like, oh yeah, this looks nice, that looks nice, but not officially like choose the what I'm going to wear on the day. Anyway, go home. Great day, great like sort of 24 hours. Get home. Oh, so I was like, oh, wh- what are you wearing then? I was like, oh, yeah, this is a picture of like what we got, what <laughs> what we we you know sorted out. She was like, oh my god, no, 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 we we need to change that, and we need to change that, and we need to change that. Basically, I had to get the first train the next day into London back to Jeff's place and just make sure everything was 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 proper. Oh, a great couple of days that was, though. I should have actually warned you. You know, it's like if a groom turns up without the bride or the bride's <laughs> mother, either one will do. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was dead. like it was it's the wrong... Like, it's kind of like standard practice. I mean, it's... Yeah, I should have warned the you. The wrong pink and stuff. But I was like... Jeff, look at look at Jeff. He's made all this money from making suits and designing suits. I think he knows what he's doing. I was like, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, if that looks good to Jeff, it's, it's got to be good. But no, no. So I knew exactly what she wanted. No, she so. was, I, I, I bow in deference to her ever since then, a lady of great taste. So yeah, brilliant. <laughs> uh, and I was the only one to have a change mid-wedding. So, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've forgotten who I, I sat next to. Um, oh God, he's, he lives in Monaco now, rides for Ineos, um, uh, Australian. Richie Port. Richie, because I did the suits for Richie's wedding. Oh, great networking then. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't, I, I think it was Gero, when you were on a ride somewhere, said, he said to you that you should actually get me to do the suits for your wedding, because yeah. I did his and Mark Renshaw's, and then, uh, and then you recommended me to Richie. Yeah. Um, but I always remember Richie at your wedding after two glasses of wine got absolutely paralytic. Do you remember that incident? <laughs> well, every time he drinks it is basically, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do, do you remember him with Sarah's mum? I mean, that was the classic. It was like... With Beth. Yeah, he tried to lift Sarah's mum up out in the garden. And at that point, pirouetted and collapsed on top of that. And it was like, and they had to drag him off. Oh, me! I didn't hear about that. It was all sorts going off for that wedding. Though. The police got called and everything for the, the music and stuff. And because we had a uh, marquee, so, you know, there was no sort of uh, sound insulation or whatever you want to call it. But my, my memory from that, though, is when I walk in and Jeff's there on the dance floor, cigar in one hand, um, Blanche, our dog, in the other, just dancing away on the dance floor. That was, uh, yeah, that, that, that's one memory that stands out for me. <laughs> Good yeah, days. Always, whenever I've done a bike ride, uh, everybody stops for a bite to eat, but I always stop for a cigar. Um, and they always wonder how the heck I can do it. So, yeah, it's like everybody else has, like, the follow-up van with the food in it, and I just make sure that I've got a box of Monte Cristo number twos oh, lovely. Uh, tucked away in the side for my break, yeah. I remember you gave me a, a cigar, actually, after I won the tour. That was a very unique present because, obviously, yeah, people would buy me some alcohol and stuff. But, yeah, never been bought a cigar before. So I'm guessing they don't go off because I haven't had it yet. I was going to have it when I retire. That, it's a Monte Cristo number two, and it will have gone off, unfortunately. Oh, it's like, oh bugger. You know, so 
unless you keep it in a very you know humid atmosphere yeah um yeah, oh, well, so uh, dead to the world now. Then I won't. I won't know the difference anyway. I'll just smoke. We'll go up for the night out when you return. I'll buy you another one. Okay. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I thought we were going to talk about bikes. We're not going to talk about bikes. Or... We are going to talk about bikes, actually. Um, I suppose what was the moment, Jeff, where you fell in love with bikes? You talked about the one you got when you were eleven or twelve. Was there anything before then that had got you in love with bikes? Were you the sort of kid who bought Cycling Weekly, Bradley style, and had posters on your walls? No, not really. I mean, it was my dad, literally. I'd not seen him for like three years. So suddenly, you know, I had this gleaming racing bike. I mean, in those days, the first proper race that you could ride was as a novice, was um, uh, the Kentish Wheelers 25. That was the first race that you were allowed uh, to actually get a junior license for. So um, I rode that. I came sixth in that. Terrible time, uh, one hour, six minutes, but... I thought that was amazing at the time at 16 to, you know, people weren't going under the hour very much in those days. So, um, yeah, that was, and I rode that on a, um, a gillet. So the gillet was a Camberwell bike builder. And in those days we used to ride time trials on a fixed wheel. And so this was almost a, a gillet track bike that I rode. Um, yeah. The, the Kentish wheelers 25 on. So, so you obviously wouldn't have had dry bars and stuff then, would you? Oh no! It was, well, know, just drop handlebars. It was it was almost a track. It had uh, rear end drop, rear dropouts. So it was a track bike, in fact. What sort of time was this then, Jeff? As in date wise? Because with tri bars and stuff, am I right in thinking uh, they didn't come in until like about nineteen sixty one, nineteen sixty? Okay. Uh, so yeah, I was about seventeen then, sixteen, seventeen. Was it Fignon and Le Mans who? It was Le Mans, yeah. yeah. And the, the final day of the, the, the 1989 tour with the time trial from Futuroscope into the, onto the uh, Champs-Élysées. And that was the first time most of us had seen t- uh, time trial bars. Yeah, I mean, try bars. It was Greg, Greg Le Mans and everybody. And I've forgotten, uh, it was Laurent Fignon uh, that he actually beat eventually by, I think, eight seconds. And as usual with the French, there was like this whole fuss went on um, about... Um, uh, yeah, kind of, you know, the tri-bars and all the rest of it. And they were, like, really peeved that Laurent hadn't won it. So, um, yeah, but that was a long time after. That's, like, uh, that's almost 30 years Thirty years later. There's something about time trial bikes, though, isn't it? They just, they just look fast. Like, even back in the day, I remember, like, when Tom mentioned Cycling Weekly cutouts on your wall. In my garage, I had a picture of um, Miguel Indurain when he did the hour record. And he had the smaller front wheel and the bigger back. 650 front wheel, yeah. It was just obsessed. It's like that one, like little banana type. You know, it wasn't like tubing. It was like a, a like a. Well, I was, don't know how to describe it, but it was a weird looking bike. Was that the one that Chris Boardman rode? That um, yeah, was it Lotus actually, or something? Or am I just making that up? Yeah, he, it was a Lotus. There was a yeah. monocog Lotus one from the '92 Olympics. Yeah, yeah, and he broke the hour record, but it's been disallowed. So um, yeah, he never actually managed to claim the hour record on that bike because. Uh, yeah, the equipment wasn't approved there. So it's, um, but I, I, I go back to the old, in my day, it was like, yeah, all Reynolds steel tubing. And part of the, the art was the actual fancy lugs um, on the bikes then. I mean, it was like, it wasn't so much about the weight. It was about how much chromium and how much, how beautiful huh. the lugs were that were actually cut. My first track bike had lugs, like real beautiful really? lugs like that. Yeah. And it was, well, it's exactly that. It had a small front wheel and a big back wheel as well, which we've stuck in it. And it was just, uh, 
oh, I just remember thinking I was like in Durain then or Jan Ulrich just riding that thing. It was a Ridley it was. And um, yeah, that was the first like proper track bike that I bought, you know, specific for, well, I borrowed it actually, I think. I think the guy gave it to me. But yeah, that was, um, back then it was definitely an art as well, wasn't it? It wasn't so much about the speed and stuff. It was how they looked and yeah. Like all the names you've mentioned already, like I've absolutely no idea about, about those frame builders and stuff, you know. But back then it seemed like there was a lot more than than these days. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's, um, I can remember riding as a junior um, at Hearn Hill, but all of the seniors like Brian Lawton and all that lot from the cap, they would race against a load of the the Belgian riders that would come up that were kind of like they would come over and, you know, they would be riding like six-day events in Belgium, but then they would actually come over to Herne Hill for like the Easter meeting. Um, and there was one guy, uh, Lawrence, I can't remember his second name, but he always wore a pink chiffon scarf. Um, and whenever he won a race, he would take the scarf off and throw it to the girls in the audience. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing. And it was like, it was kind of like a signature of his. It was kind of like... Yeah, there was a, there was a lot more individual glamour around those days. I mean, you know, I can I, guys like Tommy Simpson. You know, he was like Gentleman Tom. You know, Tom was renowned um, for actually, you know, dressing immaculately after a race. Uh, he wouldn't go down in a tracksuit or anything. He would actually put a suit on. I think Jack Arncatiel, um always carried a comb in his back pocket, um, so that you know when he actually finished a race, the first thing he actually did was comb his hair. I mean, it was. A, it was amazing. Um, and, and Barry Hoban, who, who's become a good friend of mine, Barry, who, you know, rode with Tommy. Barry was exactly the same. It was almost about being shaved, getting his hair cut, teeth. He, he was renowned for his white teeth. Jeff, you're, you're making me feel bad now. Combing your hair, wearing suits. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, two things I rarely do anyway. I think you're a lost cause there, G. I think, you know. I... I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back if you... Yeah, I'm going to bring it back. Start wearing a few suits. Absolutely. Combing my hair. Next big race G does, he should definitely wear a pink scarf. Yeah, chiffon scarf. And then just, and yeah, just... chiffon scarf, then just hand it away um, to, <laughs> let's just say a fan, so Sar doesn't get too angry. Doesn't need to be a female fan, but just a fan yeah, at the end of the race. Yeah, just a fan, absolutely. That's a great touch. There, oh, yeah. Yeah, deal. So, Tom, getting back to bikes briefly, I was thinking... I even rode down tube shifters on my first um, like racing bike when I was racing. So I think like obviously bikes have changed a lot since Jeff's day, but from Jeff until when I started, they didn't really change so much. But I think from when I started to now, it's been a hell of a change. Like, you know, electric gears, like, um, well, you know, all the aero stuff, the wheels, the disc brakes now. It's been a huge change in the last sort of 20 years compared to the previous like 100. But uh Oh, I remember going from down tube shifters to what were they even called? STIs or what were the, the gears on? Yeah, index gearing. Yeah, index gearing. Yeah. yeah, they were. That was amazing. I remember my first bike that it was like a, a specialized a red thing, carbon thing. Oh, it was bloody lovely. Like it was the first one that like my dad had bought, you know, <laughs> and because um, the other ones were second hand or sort of like just given because we were just starting out. I remember running to the garage. My dad was doing something with the bike and I had this like big long file. I don't know where, why I had it out of my dad's toolbox. And I ran in, I was like, yeah, like, and just sort of like, as if I was, I don't know, it was a sword, you know? And like, anyway, went like that with a handle and this file just flew off the end 
hit the down tube of the bike. Oh, and it was all scratched. Took a big chunk out of it. I was devastated. No. Yeah, my dad wasn't best pleased either, but he touched it up with a bit of red uh, paint and didn't look so bad. Loved that bike. What's been your favourite bike, Jeff? I mean, you've had a few bikes down the years. Is there one that, that stands out for you? I, I suppose there's a couple. There used to be an old Tour of Britain racer guy, had a bike shop in Twyford, quite near to Henley. Um, and when I moved out of London, moved to Henley, I somehow, I was out on a ride and I rode past this shop and I got to meet Dave Russell. And Dave raced um, like the Tour of Britain in the sort of like late 50s, 60s. And he'd opened a bike shop as a load of riders used to. And I stopped off and we were chatting. And he, he said to me, oh, I've got this wonderful set of lugs that I bought years ago from Korea. Real fancy stuff. And uh, he said, I'd love to build a bike. So I said, I'm your customer. So Dave built me this bike. And it was, the, it was actually the year that we were riding uh, the Diagonal. So he actually built that bike for me to do that ride. Um, and it was black, uh, chrome lugs, chrome forks, a real beauty of a bike, a classic. So that's a lovely bike. I've still got that. And I use that uh, on, wheel, on my training machine. So I use it as a trainer now. So I suppose that's one. And then my other favourite is a bike that Simon Gerrans gave me after the Olympic road race in London. And Scott built him an addict for that race. And it's matte black, but with sort of glossy London buses and taxis all down the tube. So you can barely see it. And uh, he gave me that bike after the London Olympics. And that's, that's a real special bit of kit. So I'm lucky there. And, and he also gave me, when Sky turned, uh, they rode all green bikes, uh, Pinarellos, one year. I forgot when that was, G. It's the Rainforest campaign, right. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, so Simon gave me that green bike uh, that he rode in the tour. I think he probably nicked that, didn't tell the team. I wouldn't say that on the pod. I think possibly, I think probably. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> but it's, it's actually hanging. In a, you know he's got this rain, like bunch of cafes called the Service Course. There's one in Wilmslow in Cheshire, and it's currently hanging on the wall there. So he asked if he could borrow it back um, to hang on the wall. So, um, yeah, that, that's where it hangs at the moment. So th- those are a couple of my favourites. Yeah, and then I, I think for a time uh, I had two Vita spikes when – aluminium came out first of all and they were like uh it was just pre-carbon and they were like the bee's knees so i had a because they were so light weren't they compared to steel bikes very light at the time. and they were like glued lugs on them so they were stuck together and i did the first time i rode land's end john groats i rode that on a vetus the first time have you, how many times have you done it uh, i've done the end-to-end five times um so i've done it um three Thank times you. going south to north and then two times going north to south so um i saw downhill from north see, to south it's easy it's, it's, a, it's real breeze yeah. i mean <laughs> the, the toughest ride i i did with that was with um a football manager called tony pulis that used to manage yeah i know i know tony, you know tony? Yeah. well tony yeah. he organized a charity ride with robbie williams for a hospice in stoke-on-trent we actually did it in two days so it was uh, two teams of four and you had to ride 100 miles on the bike and then get in a bus and sleep for 300 miles while other guys were doing their bit and then off the bus and on the bike 
so we actually went the end to end in uh, in two days through the night. Yeah, that was um, yeah, that was quite a ride. So a bit hairy. Tony is famous, gee, I don't know if you've heard any stories. Tony Pulis is famous when he was in charge of Stoke for making his footballers on pre-season training camps, which were always pretty brutal because Tony was into his fitness, uh, ride bikes up the steepest hills they could find. Yeah, the stories are myriad of footballers just coming back from their holidays, didn't really fancy themselves as riders anyway, just falling off these bikes, not being able to get on them. Peter Crouch in particular didn't enjoy riding up hills on bikes, I think, when he was at um, Stoke yeah, and Pulis. that's right. Yeah, he, was, he really is a number. Th- I mean, he's a great guy, real tough character. He doesn't, doesn't suffer falls lightly. So, yeah. Yeah, there were two teams of four. It was the night, you know, in, in the middle of the night on some of those, like, kind of heavy roads with trucks going by. That was quite hairy. Yeah, I bet. I remember one bike I had, Tom. It was my winter bike, and I was only going to have it for the winter. So I was like, right, I'm not, I'm not going to wash it. I'm just going to have this bike. I kind of do that now still. Don't tell the team. Uh, and yeah, I was like, I'm not going to wash this once. I'm going to ride the whole winter, a Welsh winter. So uh, I had these big, thick tyres. Like um, I'm not sure if they were gator skins, you know, like the, the thick continental yeah. ones, but that's similar to that. And a steel frame, down tube shifters. And I was like, right, I'm just going to do this whole. I'll, I'll, I can put a bit of oil on proper oil not olive oil on the chain and uh yeah i see the state of it by the end and it was absolute heap by the end <laughs> from like october till yeah end of feb probably and then yeah it was you, there was no rescue in it it was straight to the the grave but yeah that was one bike that i had treated he, he treated me kindly actually i don't think anything ever went wrong miraculously you do get a bond with bikes don't you and i think jeff it's not just the aesthetics of a bike that give you fond memories it's the adventures you have with that bike isn't it yeah i mean uh, this particular dave russell bike uh for me it was the first time i rode over the galibier um and uh there was a cafe at the top of the galibier um that the old girl that ran it if you'd ridden up the galibier she gave you a little metal um thing to put on your down your down tube and um, to say i've ridden the galibier and had little screws to put it on. And it was like this little embossed thing. And I've still got it. I mean, it was like this was a real prized possession to, like, ride that climb and get this little thing at the back. So, again, that bike remains, yeah, favourite to me because of that. And I've still got, um, in wrapped up in polythene, a Roberts track bike that Chaz Roberts at, uh, in Croydon built for me uh, when I was still riding at Hearn Hill. Uh, and I just couldn't let it go. It's like, um, I've just got the frame. It's not built. I, I'm, I always promised myself I'm going to put it back together one, one day. So, yeah, it's hanging up in the bike shed at the moment, all wrapped up in polythene. So there, there are things like that that are a real attachment. Yeah. And the, the one bike I let go, which I regret to this day, that my grandfather, that's my father's father, he used to race back in probably 1920 on a Dursley Peterson bike. I don't know if you've ever seen a Dursley. They're a Danish bike, and they're kind of like it had a straw hammock saddle, handlebars that came out of the forks, and the forks clipped in and out. They still make them in Denmark to this day. But my grandfather, Walter, he used to race on this Dursley, Dursley Peterson bike, yeah. And I, I kind of, I don't know why I sold it. It's like a real antique relic. 
And I should have hung on to that one. That was a, a lovely bike. Speaking of track bikes, my very first track bike, um, well, not my first one, but the one that I won the Junior Worlds on, I came across that the other day, actually, in my dad's attic, because we were, like, just uh, sorting out some stuff. But I was, like, came across it. I was, like, wow, like, suddenly all these memories just come flooding back. It's still got a dent in the top tube when I crashed in Ghent after getting taken out and my handlebars dented my top tube. Yeah, I'm so glad I kept that, because it would have been easy when you're, you know, younger just to sell it to, you know, buy a next bike type thing. Yeah, I was... uh it's strange, isn't it? it was, it's like when you get a certain smell and you're like, wow, that reminds me. Like when I went to watch the rugby once and just smelt, we were in the tunnel as the guys were running off and that smell just reminded me of like school games again, like when I was playing rugby in school. It's the same thing when you see, you see some bike or, yeah, that you haven't seen for so long or a jersey and just like, wow, all the memories just come flooding back, don't they? What about that yellow bike when you won the tour? Did you get to keep that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So... They made two. They made two at the time. So I rode one for the first sort of 20, 30K. So for Pinarello, so they could have that. And then I jumped on another yellow one then, which I got to keep. And uh, yeah, I've got that now. But I also, to be honest, I wanted the one that I raced the whole tour on more. And at, at the time they were kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, well, you got the yellow one. And I was kind of like, well, you can have the yellow one back if you want, because I want the one I raced on for the whole tour. And um yeah, they were kind enough to obviously let me keep both of them then. Yeah, those Pinarellos obviously have a big, uh, some good memories with them, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny. Everybody always thinks that, you know, you're riding all that kit and you actually get to keep it. Uh, but the teams are very, the providers are very fastidious, aren't they, about actually oh. getting their kit back. And what happens to it? Yeah, yeah. Where does it go? Yeah, most of the kit, I mean, yeah, they sell it off most of the time because, um, you know, all, all teams, you know, even... You know, Ineos, you know, everyone's, you know, every any bit of money you can get in, the better, really. So they always sell off a lot of their kit, pretty, well, good prices as well. So people should keep an eye out for them. Yeah, I remember the first time I had electric gears was when I was on a Pinarello, like joined Sky for the first time. That was like when you just pressed the button, it was like, dzz, dzz, dzz. it was like, wow. Now it's just annoying because I always run out of battery because I forget to charge <laughs> the bloody thing. But So, so when... Did you join Sky when it first started in Manchester? Yes. Yeah, yeah. back 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember coming up to that um, launch because Dave invited me up. And the plot was I was actually going to do the suits for yeah. the team at that time. That. And then, I don't know, Marks and Spencers offered more money than me. So you ended up with like lousy M&S suits, which <laughs> yeah. really pissed me off. But the thing that I was impressed with was one, do you remember all the bed linen had a blue stripe down it? So that mm. or in all the rooms, they'd, they'd gone to the trouble of like, not only did it have the blue stripe down the kit, it had it down the bed linen, blah, 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 blah and down the pillows. and the, the In the corridors everywhere, wasn't it? They went overkill. In the corridors? With the How brand did they do that? They all had a blue stripe. But the amazing thing was, they all, everybody that had packets of M&Ms, and all the M&Ms yeah. were blue. Do you remember that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, everyone was buzzing around, buzzing around the hotel. Yeah, it was amazing. It was like, I couldn't <laughs> believe it when I opened the M&Ms and it was all, yeah, blue, like the Sky Team. It was like, talk about manic attention to detail. It was, yeah, it was brilliant. That's why we were crap the first year. We were just worried about all that sort of stuff, but soon got it right. 
What about what about what about stylish riders, Jeff? Like we've talked about stylish bikes, and we've talked about talked about the stylish clothing that you can get from cycling. Are there any riders who you have seen, and they've just to your design eye, they just look good on a bike? Well, without question, Jacques Anquetil was probably the most stylish rider that I've ever seen. I mean, it's just uh, he was just immaculate. I mean. As a person, he was immaculate, but his actually riding style was just almost close to perfection. So I think Jacques Anquetil for me, I think... Have you seen that picture of him signing a, a, a woman's uh, suspender or yes, garter? Do you know the one I absolutely. mean? absolutely. I mean, a man after my own heart there. I mean, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> um, I think old film that I've seen of Fausto Coppi, again, was a very stylish rider. There, there was something about those old steel bikes... The chromium wheels, uh, the spokes that were all glistening, all of that made those guys look um, kind of much more delicate in a way than riders do today. Yeah, to be fair, you know that you're wearing a Royka top there. When they all, that race they do on um, the white roads in, in Italy, in Tuscany, when everyone gets on their old bikes and the old kit. And it's like there's something about that that makes it, it's just class, isn't it? like when you think back to then and in a weird way for me it's hard to see classy riders and and people you look up to when you're in it and you're racing in it like for me i'd find it really hard to answer a question like that like obviously quieto looks good on a bike to be fair ala philippe you know looks pretty good but i don't know it's, it's more before i was professional and when it was all more like over there like in europe and it was more like a dream really to be a part of that's when Suddenly, the, those people seem more not godlike, but you know what I mean. It's just more of like a more of a dream to because you're not part of that world. But as soon as you're part of it, it's kind of like oh, it's just the norm almost. Not that you take it for for granted, but yeah, I think when you look back, like like I was saying about the smaller front wheel with Indurain or Auric, and just you see those old photos of the guys, you know, having a fag with the the tires around their shoulders, you know, the bottles like on their handlebars and. It's just like romantic, isn't it, all that? Well, I, I must say, you know, whenever I see like old film of Eddie Merckx, I mean, he wasn't a stylish yeah. rider, but for aggression, just sheer animal aggression, he, <laughs> yeah. he would take some beating. I mean, you know, I always think, you know, where would he be today if you could actually like play the time machine and kind of bring Eddie back today when he was 28 and give him the kit that everybody's mm. got today? Where would Fast Eddie be in that lexicon of riders today? It's just because uh, he was a sound. Oh, for sure, he'd be at the top. Uh, must be. It's kind of like when you see old ropey players and stuff. Like for sure, like the Welsh boys back in the whenever it was seventies. Like for sure, they'd be smashing it these days as yeah. well. Yeah, maybe incredible. I mean, one other guy that I rode with, um, only for a short while, was a guy called Andy Wilkinson, and Andy held the. Lands End John O'Groats record for oh, quite a number of years. Um, and I was, I was riding it, I think, for the second time. And it was for the, like the British Heart Foundation or something. And um, somebody said, oh, there's the geezer over there. He's just bowled up. He wondered whether he can ride along with you for like a bit. So I said, yeah, who is this? Said, I don't know who he is. You know, it's like he's just waiting over in the corner. So I went over and this guy Andy's like, he said, like, legs like tree trunks and this flat-top haircut. And I said, oh, you know, my name's Jeff and, you know, 
I'm part of the team. He said, yes. He said, is it all right? If, very shy, very humble guy. He said, is it all right if I kind of ride along with you for a bit? So I said, yeah. I said, where have you come from? He said, this is in Preston. He said, oh, I've just ridden up from Chester, which is about 60 miles away. So he said, I thought maybe I could actually do like 50 miles with you and, and then turn around. So I said, absolutely. And this guy on a bike was almost motionless. I mean, it was just amazing that he just, only his legs moved. Nothing, not, his head didn't move, his arms, nothing seemed to move. And he held the record. I think it was, I think, 42 hours something, Land's End to John O'Groats. Um, Unbelievable. And he rode 50 miles north with us. And then I said, he said, oh, I've got to go back to work now. So I said, oh, where's work? He said, oh, I work in Chester. So he would have actually ridden 220 miles. <laughs> and then he was going to go back to work. I mean, an amazing guy, but had incredible style. I mean, he was just motionless on a bike. Fantastic. So if you could be any rider... Let's go of the modern generation, Jeff. Obviously, present company accepted, so I'm sure your answer would be G. But if you could be any rider, let's say the last 20 years, who would you be? And this can be, you can you can pick your own reasons here. It might be aesthetically, it might be because of their achievements on the bike, it might be the character they've got. Who would you go for? I'd go for Matt Heyman, because there's a guy that rode all his life looking after other people, a great road captain, very solid. And then when he won Paris-Roubaix, to me, it was the most astounding thing ever. I, I just, you know, A, I took my hat off to him, one, but two, to spend your whole life in the peloton, never winning a race, and suddenly you win what is arguably the toughest race on the planet. Yeah, fair play. I think when he won that, most, of the, I think most of the peloton was happy that he won that day. So, uh, yeah, that was incredible, to be fair. Good choice. Yeah, he's a real gent. So, yeah, that's what I'd go for. The expression on his face as he crossed the line in the velodrome in Roubaix was fantastic as well, wasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, for him and his family, you know, that live in that region, it's, it, to me, it was just a fairy tale. So, And there aren't many real fairy tales like that. So I think he would be the modern era. And then I think, for me, my absolute hero was Louis Zambobé. You know, if I was going to be an old-time rider, Louis Bobé, I think, would have been um, up there for me. And uh, of your native land, your favourite cyclist uh, from Wales would be Luke Rowe? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I tell you, I, lo- I love Luke, because whenever, whenever this lot, the Ineos lot, previously Sky, end up in Paris at the Tour... Always, the thing is, they I don't know why they have to take their shirts off. They have to rip them. I've heard about this. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, even G's dad has to get his shirt off. And the last time <laughs> in Paris, I was resisting. And Luke virtually ripped my shirt off me. And I, I was hanging on to it for dear life, right? And in the end, he persuaded Ergen Bernal to swap his shirt that he was wearing <laughs> with my white Jeff Bank shirt if I would get my kit off and with like an Urban <laughs> Banal shirt on offer. Um, yeah, and it's over in a drawer, just just over in my office up there. So, yeah, so Luke Rowe, um, for great character. I mean, uh, I, 
I wouldn't want to be on many nights out with him. I'll tell you that. It's like, because how he never gets arrested, I'm not sure. So a danger man, dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Always a story to tell. Yeah, well, great. It's been great to catch up with you, Jeff. It's been and a while too. since I've seen you, yeah. actually. But thanks for coming on. It was, uh, it was been a pleasure. A couple of years, yeah. So yeah, good and good luck next year. Um, and uh, and just will you try and stay on the bloody bike this time? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a go. I'll give it a yeah, go. Give it a try. We'll I mean, like, yeah, yeah, that'd be a pleasant change, wouldn't it, Tom? You know, it seemed like. Oh, yeah, we, hey. we don't talk about the C word on this pod, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, on that note, Great. thank you very much and see you thank soon. Thank you. Stay healthy. Cheers, mate. You too. Bye-bye. So, Tom and producer Lou, it's time. Time to check in on your Zwift journey and how you've been getting on. You've had a few weeks now to up your fitness. So, what's the crack, guys? I've been enjoying it again, G. I've got stuck in, I've been doing, as I often do, I sort of try and find a training program or a training ride on the day that I want to ride on my bike. So I've done one called Escalation, which was pleasant and horrible at the same time. I've done the Grind Finale, which was similar. And now the cyclocross season is in full muddy swing. I'm finding it's helping me because there is nothing as horrific as cycling through the mud for about 45, 50 minutes um, while feeling sick. And Swift, in the best possible way, I find, gets me ready for it. And the proof of the pudding, G, is that my FTP score, the score of my fitness, if you want it in simple terms, has even gone up. How about that? So I'm not quite as confident as Tom that my FTP has gone up dramatically, but uh, I've been doing some of the workouts on my lunchtime. One called John's Mix has gone down well, uh, but I've realised I need something a bit more structured. So I'm actually this week starting the FTP builder uh, in the hope that I will be a bit fitter for the GTCC group rides, which have been challenging to say the least. So if you want to join me, Geraint and Tom on Swift, just go to Swift.com to start your free trial. And don't forget, you can join us every Wednesday at 6pm on our GTCC weekly group rides. We'll see you there. Right, Tom, time for any other business. And I thought I'd start with the amazing feedback we've had from the pod we did a few weeks ago with John McAvoy. It's, um, well, it's gone down really well. Everyone's loving it, aren't they? Yeah, I got stopped on the school drop-off by a couple of people who had enjoyed it in particular. And uh, both of them pointed out that they didn't really hear from you and me in the whole episode. And that was said in the sort of tone which, which yeah. implied it was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, your podcast is great when you, talk, you two just <laughs> shut you up. Get someone on to do all the rest of the talking. <laughs> but no, he, was, he is a very inspirational man, isn't he, John? Yeah, he is. I've had a few texts as well off some of my mates just like sending me screenshots of just, you know, them listening to it and just said, yeah, mad story. So yeah, it was it was nice to get him on, wasn't it? And just... Uh, inspirational yeah well we realized after we finished talking to john didn't we that we didn't even get to ask him about his triathlon achievements which are pretty remarkable we also got a message from npd harrison on insta saying that we need to get john back on to do that another listener wants john back for season three but i reckon we maybe can do better even than that should we see if he'll come back in the new year and then we can add this the triathlon chunk on with john in any other business seems fair yeah, yeah, that sounds plan. Seeing the reason we got him on was to talk about Iron Man. Obviously, give a bit of his background, <laughs> yeah. but turned out that that was the whole shebang. But yeah, hundred percent. Let's get him on, and uh, I'm sure he'd love to come back. 
Okay, that is the return of the Mac then uh, in the new year. Right, let's appoint our next batch of road captains, shall we? And we'll start off with North Norfolk, and that is going to be Ali Hogsberg. In Essex, we've got Kevin Lee Pettingel. Pet- is that right? Kevin Lee Pettingel. For Kent, it is the appropriately named Harrison King. Staffordshire, we've got Ross Stevenson. Lovely. And on the road captains, I've actually got some very exciting news, Garrett. I have submitted our application to British Cycling to become an actual official club. So soon, not only will we have virtual members, but real life members as well. And then I'll be able to do my cyclocross races and compete on behalf of the GTCC, which would be a lovely touch. Oh, quality. Hopefully, uh, I can't see you winning many races though, Tom. So hopefully we have a few. <laughs> no. Few better bike riders, but uh, no, that's great. We've we've already had our first little win, haven't we? In um, in the Garen Thomas Velodrome, National Velodrome Wales. But uh, yes, we have. Yeah, hopefully we'll get um a lot more jerseys out there representing GTCC and racing their bikes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and of course, it's not just about winning. I mean, for some of us at the top end, like you, it might be. For the rest of us, it might just be taking part and enjoying ourselves. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but to be sorry, able yeah. to have. <laughs> But it's nice that your competitive spirit shines through even in these little chats. <laughs> well, no, yeah, everyone enjoy themselves, but we need one or two that are determined to win because then it just looks a bit better again. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are to finish last whilst representing the GTCC, no one at the GTCC will mind in the slightest. Yes, do it with a smile. Smiling's for free. <laughs> okay. What Paul says. Okay, so once we've been approved, and I should have more information on that next week, we might be after some volunteers to help us run the club. So if you've got experience of doing this and you fancy helping out, please just drop us an email, gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk. We'll see you next week. Ciao, ciao. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. <laughs>